Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. Over the past few episodes, the show has moved focus from hands-on operational tactics to high-end management theory and strategic direction. Along the way, I've talked about vision, mission, purpose and values, and I thought about the way those things can be leveraged to improve business results. When I was introduced to this week's guest by Angelique and Dimitri from Airvote, I had no idea that it would lead to a conversation that weaves together so many of the threads I've shared over the past few weeks. Perhaps we can call that fate. Those guests are Tanis and David Jamar, the founders and owners of J-Bar Contractor Services based in Texas. Now, before I share our conversation, I'd like to play the audio from a promotional video they released on Facebook last month. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll already have heard this, but I'd like you to listen to it again because it explains how the team at JBAR are using clear strategic statements and unifying values to build and sustain a business that benefits them as business owners, their staff and their customers. As CEO of JBAR, I wanted to share a message of hope and commitment to all of our current and future clients. Since 2008, JBAR has strived to live up to our motto. Simply put, we want to raise the standard by setting the bar for service and value in our industry by providing a line of services to allow you to make one call and get it all. As JBAR continues to grow as a company and expand in the San Antonio market, we wanted to remind you that we offer a full line of construction site rentals with turnaround times on delivery and pickup requests unmatched by any of our competitors. As a family-owned business, we're aware that our success directly depends on providing excellent service, not only on the phone, but in the field. If you speak with any of our customers, they'll tell you that our customer service is what sets us apart from our competitors. We offer portable sanitary restrooms, luxury trailers, roll-off dumpsters, material hauling, and crane services. JBAR operates all aspects of our business through a set of core values. Servanthood, excellence in the ordinary, self-employed mentality, overcomer, honest communication, and family. For the past 13 years, JBAR has made cleanliness and hygiene the core of our sanitary restroom service. In 2020, when the world became acutely aware of whether or not things were truly sanitized, JBAR was already ahead of the curve. Because we've been providing a thorough cleaning using hospital grade disinfectant for years. If you're looking for a way to take sanitation to the next level, increasing the frequency of your services to twice a week or more is a great way to ensure that people on your job sites are being provided the most sanitary environment possible. As we look forward to the rest of 2021 and beyond, we at JVAR want you to know that we are welcoming special events back with open arms. Concerts, festivals, outdoor weddings, any size event at any location, JBAR is ready to roll. When COVID began, we operated under the slogan, ain't nothing gonna break our stride. We have lived up to this slogan by staying open and providing services every day as an essential business. In fact, we were providing emergency services following the recent winter storm that Texas experienced. As a faith-based company, our mission has always been to serve our employees, customers, and the community by living out the example that Jesus set for us when he washed the feet of those around him. JBAR pledges to our clients that we will not only continue to be a market leader, but an innovator in the sanitation business. Give us a call and let us show you how it feels when affordability meets excellence in customer service. Thank you for your time and most importantly, thank you for your business. I'm joined today by Tanis and David, who are over in Texas. Hi. Hello. Howdy. Really pleased that you're on the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you. I think perhaps the easiest thing is if you start for listeners who've maybe not heard of your company, a bit of a description of JBAR. Sure. David and I started JBAR 13 years ago. Uh, we got married in 2007, and we both had careers where we worked shift work. I was a nurse. He was a firefighter, and we had a lot of time off. We didn't have kids then. And David kind of got bored on his days off. And I was always sleeping during the day because I worked nights. And so he had a lot of time on his hands and he kind of couldn't be in the house and stay quiet. So 
he kind of had this idea that initially we were going to run trash trailers and that's what he was going to do on his time off. And then it kind of morphed into, Hey, well, if we do that, maybe we should do this. And well, if we do this then we should also add this. And we started off, we kind of did everything under the sun and then, you know, it just really took off for us. We always in the beginning thought that this would be side jobs for us that we would have our careers and that would be our retirement and all that. And it really got to the point in about 2010 where we had to make a decision of whether we were going to leave our careers or whether we were going to try and hire people to run this for us. Through the years, we've pared down a lot of our services. We used to do structure demolition and silt fencing and 50 other things. And we've really focused on mainly uh, portable sanitary restrooms and roll-off dumpsters. Those are the two biggest portions of our business. Sanitary restrooms is the biggest portion of all of those. It's been 13 years and been really good to us. Did you start with toilets from day one then, Tennis, or was that something you added a bit later on? Yeah, we started doing restrooms from the get-go. David had a background in construction. He'd always had some type of job that related to construction, either framing or working in the air conditioning or an electrician or something like that. And so he, he'd been in the construction industry his whole life and realized that there was an opportunity for us to provide a better service than what the standard in our area was. And so, yeah, we started out with 10 use units from some crazy person in the middle of Missouri or something. I don't even know. That was <laughs> looking back on that. It kind of seems like, you know, you're watching a train wreck happen in retrospect, but we didn't know any difference. So, well, it's a really um, common way for people to get into the industry, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Buy used units and go from there. Mm hmm. Yep. How long did it take before you bought your first load of brand new restrooms? When we started out, we bought, I think we bought 10 used units and then we bought, I think, 10 new ones and they were Hamples back then. It was before Satellite bought them out, but they had the original graded floor with the global design. And so we've had that from the beginning. That's all that we run um, and we've had really good success with it. But we were really happy to get rid of those 10 used units. That was... <laughs> And do I see from all of your posts, you use Satellite Global Model, the orange one. That's great. Yeah. And how are you finding Satellite? I've had a great relationship with them. They bought Hample out maybe a year after we started our business. So that's really the only toilet supplier we've ever dealt with. And we've had a great relationship with yeah. them. I used to manage a fleet of Taurus units that were getting mm -hmm. on. They were a few years old, but they really keep their shape and they keep their condition really well. Mm -hmm. Are the Globals double skinned? They're single wall, but they are at quality construction. Uh, we still have our first units that we bought 13 years ago in service. They really do hold their condition well. You've gone for that bright fluoro orange color, which really stands out, and you can see them from a mile. In New Zealand, that's the first color that gets hit by UV. How have you found the color fastness? So the original units that we bought from Hample are pink now, but uh, Satellite has done really well in upgrading their plastics and putting UV protection in there. And so they do fade, but they don't fade near like those original units do. That orange color, I think it's just pretty vulnerable mm -hmm. to what comes down. Yeah. But orange sticks out like a sore thumb, and so it's great for marketing. <laughs> you can see them from a, from a long way around. Yeah, and in our area, we're the only one that runs orange, really. So it does help us to kind of set ourselves apart from everybody that's running green or blue. That's what we do best, set ourselves apart from all others in everything that we do. That comes across through your promotional material. Two weeks ago in the show, I spoke about vision and mission and purpose. And last week I spoke about values. And I get the feeling from your website that you're a very values-driven organization. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I won't say that we didn't start out that way, but in our minds when we... Well, when we started the business, neither one of us had ever run a business before. We didn't really know what we were doing. We just kind of winged it along the way. And we were fortunate that a lot of the times our winging it turned out in our favor and didn't blow up, <laughs> blow up in our face. You know, so we just had a little bit of good graces on our side, I guess. But we really didn't realize that that was going to play such a big role in our company at the very beginning, we wrote a mission statement, kind of like everybody does. So you can put it on your website and be like, oh, check, I got my mission statement. But we really retooled things a couple of years ago and just really realized that that had to take the forefront of what drove our business. And that if we were going to be able to scale and have uniform service across the board where 
when we finally decided to open a location that wasn't where we physically worked ourselves, that we were going to have to really invest into that to even have a chance of having that continuity when we expanded locations. You shouldn't underestimate the importance of that. And I think you've done a really clear mm -hmm. job. It comes through in your videos and in the literature that you've published and your, your statements come from the heart, I felt. Any customer would have to feel that they were dealing with really genuine and honest people. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Our motto is we set the bar, one call gets it all. And we've had that attitude from day one. We set the bar and uh, we've always strived to set the bar. But it was probably about 2016 that we really started to change our focus from setting the bar in the service that we did to setting the bar in how we treated our employees and the culture that we had. What we found is if we set the bar in our employee relationships, they will set the bar in our service. One of the things I spoke with Roy Baring from Texan about was bringing his playbook to life. And mm -hmm. it's often really difficult in restroom businesses because the owner operators usually tend to be very hands-on and rushed from job mm -hmm. to job. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it says something about your success that you've been able to mature as a business and go back and look at that and open up the vision mission and figure out how you involve stuff. Because you can't do it on your own, can you? It's, it's just words on a page. Right. You've got to breathe life into it. We really reached a point in 2018 where David was working himself to death. He was probably working, I mean, we never clocked it, but I'd guess he was working 80 hours a week. Every time we'd have a turnover, he would just pick up the extra load and he was out running routes three or four days a week. And we really kind of had a intervention type moment from of all places like a cold call business consulting the kind of thing that you normally just hang up on right away and you're like eh, leave me alone and that really changed our focus and really it helped us to realize that David had to I mean he's really good at running routes like nobody can match his productivity Nobody can do as many services a day as him with the quality that he can do. But we could not continue that way because he didn't have time to drive any of the vision for this company at all. And we really reached that point where we're like, we'd be better off to just sell this and walk away or something because it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill him. And so it's made a big difference to really shift that focus. It was a hard thing to do. It was hard to retrain ourselves. <laughs> Even the realization in itself, Tannis, because I, I figure there's a lot of operators out there in a similar position that they're just grinding away, grinding away, because they're generally driven by a desire to help customers. It's unusual Absolutely. for restroom operators to say, I'm sorry, I'm not coming today. And the fact that you've been able to make those significant changes is real testament to your self-awareness, really. I think a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't realize that they were in that predicament until they had the stroke or the heart attack or they yeah. realized that they needed more help than a good night's sleep was giving them. Yeah. How do you sell your vision and mission to the staff? We preach it all the time. We have a, a weekly breakfast. Every Tuesday morning, we feed the staff. Everybody's in one room together, and we really preach those core values. A different manager hosts the breakfast every week, and... Typically, the message is on one of our six core values. But we also reward people based on our core values. When we recognize that they've done something that reflected honest communication, we praise them in front of the team and we give them a gift card or we pat them on the back or uh, we have a little mascot that they carry around with them and take pictures during the week while they're out on their routes or you know doing their desk job or whatever it is. And so we just find creative ways to really recognize the staff when they do represent our core values. And we preach it religiously. It's our foundations. It's uh, what we believe and how we act. And uh, we take it seriously. And when somebody violates a core value, we have serious conversations about it. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest things that was difficult for us was to get that second piece of not just praising people and highlighting the good things, but to use those as a tool for coaching. Instead of just telling somebody, 
hey, we've gotten two calls on you in the last two days saying that you were here and you service this restroom, but it's not clean or you didn't leave toilet paper or, you know, some of those things that are just sometimes mistakes. But if they go unchecked, they can become habits. And when we use that as a tool for coaching, it also it kind of reinforces it in a different way. One of our core values is excellence in the ordinary and that we're faithful in the little things. So that's this whole business <laughs> is yeah. the little things that make the difference. And yeah. so accountability, it's a difficult thing to implement, especially if it's kind of been the wild west within your company, which we had for a certain number of years and it was difficult to implement that. And again, tennis, I think that's quite common. And the reason for that is that you put your drivers in a truck, they leave the yard and yet yeah, they may have a list of jobs and calls that they're going to run through today, but they're the sheriff <laughs> of town, the lone ranger on the highway and they'll go the way they right. want. And nobody's looking over their shoulder every minute of the day. So it's really important. Right. And the whole values thing, it's taken me a year in the podcast to get to the conversation about values, but it's so important and I think it's the real difference between companies that do a job and companies that do a really good job. And then there's those that do a great job. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> there are two. <laughs> there's one element I want to ask you about, and David mentioned it really quickly, is that your faith. Do you think you'd have got to where you are without your faith? Because it comes through very subtly, but it's definitely there in everything mm -hmm. you do. Yeah. I, I mean, without a question, I, I'd say no to that. We have had... Our, our major ups and our major downs in this, you know, we started our business in 2008, which, you know, we're in a pretty um, popular part of Texas where it's kind of a retirement destination and stuff. So when everything slowed down in the U.S. economy in 2009, 2010, it didn't hit here till about 2011. So we were early in our business and we lacked a lot of the skills that Today, that might not have been a big deal for us because we probably would have had a little more foresight. We did not see that train coming down the tracks for us. It was like, oh my gosh, we're upside down. This is really bad. And we were very, very close to pulling the plug at one point. Just somebody else was going to pull the plug <laughs> because yeah. they were going to come calling. And our faith kept us through that. I mean, it was one of the only things that you know, everybody else looked at us like, why don't you just file bankruptcy? Why don't you just give up? We just knew that that was not what we were supposed to do. We just, I mean, we prayed about it too much. We cried about it too much. We just wouldn't quit. Where we have seen the biggest turn in our business in the last five years is when we made a conscious choice to say, this is who we are and we aren't going to stifle that because maybe we're afraid of some type of legality. This is who we are. And we employ people from all different faiths, all different walks of life, all different everything. But this is our calling in life is to run this business. That's very powerful. How many have you got on the JBAR team? We're sitting right at 42 employees right now. We've grown quite a bit in the last year. I was listening to one of your episodes from a month or two back and just talking about how people have seen a lot of growth in this industry because of COVID, more services a week and stuff like that. And we definitely experienced that. It's been a good season of growth and it's been a challenge to find employees just like everybody else, but we have a really good team right now. We have really concentrated on that employee turnover. And um, I feel like if we hadn't implemented the changes and implemented the uh, the culture and the benefits that we have, that we would really be struggling today because we pour into our employees that they are here and they're telling their friends and their families and their acquaintances, hey, this is the place to work. Mm -hmm. And we find longevity in our employees now multiple year employees instead of multiple months. <laughs> so it's really great. Multiple so while... weeks was a, was a real feat at one point. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have them lined up at the door, you know, like the rest of the country. Nobody's lined up at the door for employment, but we're not struggling. And I think it's because of those core values. If you lose stuff, there's that huge amount of tacit knowledge that goes out the door as well. And it takes a long time to bring people up to speed. Mm -hmm. Roy Baring spoke about his onboarding process, which was quite sophisticated, and they gave the new drivers a lot of support for two, three, four weeks before they were out on their own. 
-hmm. and then they maintained and monitored that as they got through their first six months and then beyond. Is there a similar scheme in place? Have you done that? Uh, yes. Um, we have a four-week training process for a new route driver. They spend two weeks in the yard before they even touch truck. And in the yard, they're learning our equipment, and they're learning what it means to clean our equipment. And so we really get that down before we put them in a route truck. And that also helps us to kind of get a good feel for that employee and whether they're here for the long haul or not. Yeah. Um, if they're just looking for a paycheck, we're not interested. We're looking for family members. That comes across. It really does. Can I ask you about your event fleet? Because one of the features I've seen or I've heard when I've been talking to other providers is that most of them have deployed their event fleet onto construction sites during COVID because demand has been crazy and supply has been quite slow coming through. There's been lots of problems for lots of different reasons about this, with the supply chain. Have you managed to maintain your reserve fleet or have you deployed it? One of the great strategies that we have for the uh, event fleet is that is our new equipment. And we use the same equipment from our event to our construction units. And so once they start getting a little banged up and scratched up, we move them over to construction, but they're still great quality. And so that's really helped us because when uh, we were running short on the equipment over the past year, we just pulled it from our event side, which was standing still. And we didn't have to do very much to, uh, to move them over into the, the construction side because it's basically the same equipment. Are events coming back online in Texas? Are you looking at a busy summer? They're starting to come back in some of the local things, you know, the carnivals and stuff that have been annual for the last 30 years in our area are finally they're happening again. And they had canceled everything in 2020 pretty much. We've seen a lot bigger demand for restroom trailers than we have in the past. I think there's a lot of backlog of weddings. They were going to happen in 2020. And then if you're going to have an outdoor weddings in a pasture or a barn wedding are very popular, nobody wants to do that in 110 degrees. So they happen early in the spring or they happen late in the fall. And we've had a really good trailer season so far. But yeah, we are seeing some events come back. In preparation, we made the call to purchase some restrooms further ahead of schedule than we had planned to kind of build that event fleet back up because it had gotten to where we only had maybe 40 or 50 in, in our event fleet. And for little things, that's fine. But, you know, we would not have been able, if somebody had called us in January and said, hey, I need 100 units, we would have been scrambling. And then the ice storm hit Texas in February. And Crazy. that was like <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever been. You look like you had like, a lot of fun dragging people around in the snow, we, though. <laughs> well, we did. That, I mean, we were very fortunate that our house did not lose power and stuff like that. But we shut down. It's the first time we've ever shut down for a week because we don't run salt and brine or anything like that here. We're not, we're not prepared for that. And so when that week started to come to an end and everything was still frozen and everything, we we're like, we're about to get slammed. And we had, you know, our customer service girls were at home and we live on the same property as our office. So I came up here and it was like, I mean, the phones just, it'd be ringing and be beeping in your ear and you'd hang up and it would ring again and it would beep in your ear the whole time because somebody else is trying to get through and that was crazy. Crazy times. So, and on top of COVID as well, you just couldn't have picked it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> absolutely not. We were getting calls from every broker in the U.S. like that was trying to get stuff in Austin, which I mean, we service Austin, but we don't do a lot in there purposefully. We try and avoid the traffic. And we were getting calls from multiple brokers for the same location. Like, hey, I need six units at Home Depot. And you'd hang up. I need six units at the Lakeline Home Depot. And you're like, you guys know you're all calling this. Yeah, like, they, everybody's what desperate is going and they, on? they put the call it out wide. <laughs> yeah. But you Credit got through it up front. and you're laughing yeah, about it now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we did. We learned a lot from that experience. And, uh, you know, we were able to kind of write some new policies, some new processes. Uh, but we put out every piece of equipment that we had that week. Which um, in, in February, I'm guessing that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> no, we had never, ever had a completely bare yard. I mean, we've come pretty close a couple of times, but 
it was everything. We were putting, we're telling them, all we got is pink units. That's all we've got. Are you okay with that? Yep. I don't care. Bring it. Okay. Well, here it comes. It's going your way. Yeah. There might have been some duct tape and bellum wire involved in that, too. <laughs> well, anything might to get them out of the door in an emergency. <laughs> yeah. In a normal season, when you've got your event work on, how do you manage that against your daily workload? We kind of plan it in, in our routes and our schedule. So typically our events are delivered Friday, picked up on Monday. And so we do our heavy routes Tuesday through Thursday so that we have that staff available on Fridays and Mondays for the deliveries and pickups of those events. Can you tell me a little bit about Airvo? Were you the first or one of the very first people to, I don't want to call it an experiment because it, it, I'm guessing it's become a yeah. regular part of what you do. It is now. I mean, it definitely, I would, I would say it was kind of an experiment. We're like, well, here's the upfront cost. If it all goes belly up and it's terrible, then we're out a little bit of money. But we, uh, so we've put those in every unit that we have. Every um, unit. Every yeah, unit. Wow. Yep. Construction, event handicap everything and we've put them in our restroom trailers as well we get a report every month that they email us with a kind of a spreadsheet but we we have the feature turned on i know that you know some people may or may not use it but if we get a sad face vote we get an email immediately so that goes directly to our route manager in real time as long as it's not after hours that gets followed up on if they leave any type of a comment we can't physically drive out to every single one. And one of the things that I've heard or seen on some of the, you know, Facebook groups and stuff like that that are kind of poo-pooing the idea is that, oh, you'll just get a bunch of people that are just being jerks and they'll just take all these bad votes. You'll get bad votes all day long. Maybe. Okay. But if you take the time to leave a comment, I mean, every once in a while, we just get a funny comment and everybody gets a good laugh about it or whatever. But for the most part, you know, they're legitimate comments of this doesn't have any toilet paper. Somebody has purposefully defaced this and, you know, been disgusting or something like that. We use that opportunity to call the customer on record and say, hey, we just got a notification in real time from the air vote. It says there's no toilet paper. How many people do you have on that job site? Oh, well, we're in the framing stage right now. We probably got 40 people out there. Okay, well, do you want us to do twice a week? Do you want an extra service now? Do you want another unit? And we've actually been successful with getting some of those extra services and getting people to increase their unit count because they don't feel like you're just calling them to give them a sales pitch, like, oh, they're just trying to get some more money out of me. They realize, oh. And that's exactly what Dave and Roy said when they'd been to the PGA at Valero, that they were getting notifications about issues in the restrooms without it going through the radio channel of stewards and marshals and back to the operations room. Right. Um, and that yep. in itself is just worth a huge amount of, of just efficiency yeah. savings that come from that. And Absolutely. I, I saw the advert for it and I dismissed it at first. I thought, oh, it's just, you know, another gimmicky type thing. And then when I watched the video mm -hmm. and I spoke to Angelique, I started to see the potential in it. And then she said to me she'd already got it in restrooms and that people were using it and the feedback had been really cool. And in a market mm -hmm. where everybody's got pretty much the same toilets, the restrooms are restrooms and you can do things to improve what mm -hmm. you offer, but it's about service and it's about responding to feedback. Yep. It just makes perfect sense to me. I'm a great fan of it. Yeah. We started running a contest for people who submit an air vote. You can, of course, do it with the note. You don't have to put any contact information yeah. or anything, but if they leave contact information, they're entered into a drawing for a gift card every month. And if you win a $100 gift card because you scanned a QR code while you were using well, the bathroom, you? <laughs> aren't you, are you probably going to tell some people about that, right? Like, yeah. I can't believe this. <laughs> and how did staff react to it when you started to put those in? We didn't really have a big pushback on that. We had just gone through a serialization campaign where we serialized all of our units. It didn't seem like, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to get stickers in all these units in the field? And how are we ever going to track? We, we kind of had already just done that. And so we've had, I think, good feedback. Our salespeople like getting that feedback that gives them also some selling points, you know, to be like, hey, look, these are some of the comments that we get from our restrooms. We also found that uh, we have a lot less graffiti in our units because people are playing with mm -hmm. their phone and scanning a QR code instead of playing with markers. A bit unexpected, perhaps, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely an unintended consequence, but we have seen a, a noticeable difference in that alone. So win-win. <laughs> yeah. 
got to ask you about your camo colour scheme because that's quite impressive when I saw that shot of all of your trucks lined up. And it took me a while to figure out, it's the silhouette of Texas, isn't it? Uh, our logo is, yeah, yeah. It's the silhouette of Texas. That has been our logo from day one. But uh, probably like maybe four or five years ago, I think, David went to a Solid Waste Expo in Las Vegas and they had one of those showpiece trucks that, you know, we'll never actually see the field of, hauling garbage it was a it was made for display it just had the coolest digital camo it was it was different than that but he just took pictures sent those pictures like this is the most beautiful truck and you know just love it that was right around our 10-year anniversary of the business and we kind of just were like well maybe we'll do a 10-year color scheme change or whatever so orange has always been our color but but yeah no, it looks, it, it looks impressive. Trucks. And they're smart looking units you've got as well. Yeah. I'd be quite Yeah, you can definitely see them coming down the highway. That's for sure. We live in kind of a rural area. And, you know, when we very first started the business, we had one truck. I mean, it was David's truck. But, you know, in a small enough town, you see the same truck two times in a day and you think somebody's got 50 trucks running around. You just happen to notice it because it was a giant orange sticker on the side yeah. of it. But, but yeah, we're happy with them. Yeah, it looks cool. And in terms of running the office, are you using a CRM or any bespoke restroom software? So we use uh, AMCS Tower 7. We converted to that in 2015. We never ran truly on paper, but we did run like a spreadsheet. We had a big, for our area anyway, it was one of the biggest projects that's ever come to this area was a, a new natural gas fired power plant. It was literally 10 minutes down the road from us. We got the contract on that, which at that time, we seriously were running about 75 units a week for service. And so they had like 50 units service daily. And it was it like doubled our business. It was like, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to do this? You know, yeah, that's a like full 50 day's units work in, in itself. A, yeah, yeah. And so they were all close together and stuff and tons of holding tanks and stuff like that. We learned on the go, but that was a big turning point for our business when that project came through. Ryan at Acadian down in Lafayette, he's had a similar thing with Hurricane Laura that he managed to sub-hire quite a lot of units and that's given him the drive to mm -hmm. go full-time. He was working as a fitter welder and out of the back of mm -hmm. Hurricane Laura, he's bought a, a whole new trailer load of toilets and he's gone full-time. There's usually a, yeah. a big event like that that marks the transition from being, mm -hmm. being in the game to really being on top of the game, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And where do you go from here with J-Bar? It looks like you've got things ticking along really nicely and running really well. Lots of loyal customers, good staff, excellent equipment. What do you think's next? So we just opened up our first uh, satellite yard in a town called San Marcos. It's about halfway between Austin and, well, not quite halfway, but between Austin and San Antonio. San Antonio is probably about from our current location here is about two and a half hours away. So not really feasible to go that far to get into that market. We have a, a couple big production builders that kind of build in that area of our satellite yard. So it was a good anchor to have a couple good routes a week over there and then be able to build. So that's kind of currently our biggest thing right now. We do have somebody that uh, is an existing employee that working over there that's not our long-term plan, but it is a steady, solid person that already knows how to do the job and can be independent. Um, we're still running all of our uh, administrative out of this office, and I think we'll continue to do that for a long, long time, especially as we don't really need a physical office for customers down there to go into at this point anyway. So right now, we, we're just running one truck out of that location. And then, of course, as we grow, we'll add trucks and equipment down yeah, there. I think COVID has proven your point there that most of the world has managed to work remotely for the last 12, 14 months. We converted to AMCS's Tower 7 in 2015. I don't know how we would run the business without that software right now. It tracks our inventory, it tracks geolocation, it has mobile tablets that, you know, our drivers have with their routes on them. When they check off services, it notifies us in real time, whether it's completed or missed or skipped or blocked or any of that. It does all of our billing processes, credit cards and a billing batch in one touch. It, I mean, it really has allowed us to scale. When we jumped 
from about 1,500 services a week before the winter storm to in a week, literally doing almost 1,900 services a week. I mean, our drivers were scrambling because everybody, you know, and and the world was kind of scrambling, but we didn't lose units. We didn't not bill customers. And oh my gosh, I think that guy just got a free toilet. And I don't know what to, you know, I mean, there was none of that. The office side was very, it was very smooth. So when you did your serialization (laughs) project and you put unique numbers Mm -hmm. on each unit, how did you tally Mm -hmm. that with what was on the contract and what was on the site? Because that's a challenge in itself. That's not an easy job. When we did that, we hired somebody that's all that that was their only job was to go and serialize. We just bit the bullet, paid the extra money, and we gave him a route. You know, we literally printed one of our routes for him. We gave him a tablet, and his job was to go through there and go to every unit in the work order completion, put the serial number, and take a picture. Our tablets allow you to attach a picture. And then on the back side, you know, we just kind of divvied it up so that one person wasn't completely drowning and we just did the inventory moves. It took probably about, what do you think, David, about a month and a half to get that serialization done because we had one guy going to each route. So, but you know. honestly, that's probably the safest way of doing it because yeah. you trust one person and that's their only job. Right. Yeah, well, we took one day and we serialized everything that was in the yard before we ever started the serialization project so that nothing could go out that didn't have a serial number on it. And, you know, we just had to keep track. It makes a huge amount of sense because, A, you can track where units are if they've got a unique number on, and that makes your audit and your stock take a whole lot simpler because you can actually account for every unit. And again, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you horror stories where we found one unit with two different numbers on because, because <laughs> the MO where I worked was that we'd put the unit on the front to the right of the door. So on the opening side yeah. of the door and you always mm-hmm. get that one person who decides they'd be better off on the bottom left hand corner at the back. And then, <laughs> then we found a unit with two numbers on and that causes all sorts of problems. And oh, yeah. What did you go for with unique IDs? Did you go for just metal tags or printed barcodes or numbered? Yeah, we just did metal uh, number stamped tags, just ordered 2,000 of them. And when we run out of those, just order 2,001 through whatever. But we we really looked at barcodes or RFID and we kind of, you know, hem-hawed back and forth between some of those. But in the end, we just felt like the metal tags would be the least appealing for vandalism. They're very durable. You can rivet them on. They don't come off unless somebody really gets a pry bar underneath right yeah right yeah. we also didn't like the idea of our drivers pulling their tablet out of the truck at every stop and scanning the qr code you know when you got a couple hundred dollars piece of equipment and well, they set it down on the bumper of the truck or whatever and yeah well wear and tear is yeah. a huge factor in, in the restroom industry and maybe that's mm-hmm. a nice you point bet. david talk about damage on trucks and how you manage <laughs> To keep your fleet running, because honestly, we were running 16 trucks around seven locations, and every day some somebody broke something. It wasn't the trucks broke down. It was usually the driver managed to do something dumb, and every day something right. was out of action or out of service because of something that somebody had done. How do you cope with that in your fleet? Well, we have a team um, of, of mechanics and um, procurement guy and uh, a fleet manager that uh, you know, really stays on top of everything and make sure that we have the the parts on hand to make the repairs. But the biggest thing is accountability, accountability to those drivers. When it has to come out of their pocketbook, they remember and they take better care of that equipment when they're responsible for it. And so that's one of the biggest things is holding them accountable to that. Yeah. We kind of have a, uh, the first one's on us type thing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, uh, but I mean, we do have a written policy that says, Hey, if you are reckless in your driving, or if you flat out are being negligent and cause damage to our property or somebody else's property, you're going to be held responsible up to the insurance deductible, you know? So yeah, if you smash into a Mercedes, we don't expect you to buy a $90,000 Mercedes. However, I do expect you to cover the insurance deductible because that's yes, the excess. That's on you. I'm pleased to hear that you've got a system, and I'll ask, does it work, David? Have you seen a reduction in damage as a result of that? We definitely have. And, you know, it, it's twofold. 
our managers have to hold them accountable at the same time. And so, you know, you can write policies all day long, but if we don't follow the policies, yeah. it's, it's just writing on grease paper. You've, yeah. you've got to live it. Uh, but I'll tell you, we've also installed camera systems in our trucks. And so there's a lot of great accountability there. There's a forward-facing camera to view the highway, and then there's in-cab camera viewing the driver. And so we use uh, those opportunities, and the company that we use, Lytics, they provide a lot of feedback, coaching tools, and, and whatnot. The system triggers because of a event, a hard stop. They run through a stop sign. They uh, accelerate quickly, or they're exceeding the speed limit. It triggers. We get notified of that, and so we're able to coach the uh, the drivers on that. There's automatic accountability there. I've been in email correspondence with Lytics for a few weeks, trying to arrange for someone to come on the show, and I didn't know you use them. I've got a friend who's an insurance broker, and he put in cab cameras into the largest fleet of haulage trucks in New Zealand, maybe ten, twelve years ago, because they were having rollovers weekly. They really did struggle with accidents. And that made a huge difference. And I've been talking about having an episode around in-cab cameras for quite a while. So hopefully the people at Lytics will come through because it would be a great tie-up. And, and I genuinely didn't know you used it. The reports I've heard from people who are users are exactly what yeah. you said, that it makes the drivers think about the way they drive. It's a protection for them too. So we've had two incidents that really come to mind since we, I guess we installed Lytics probably what in November, October, something like that. Previously we had used uh, Verizon connect, which was Fleetmatics, but it didn't have um, no cameras. cameras. And so, you know, we, our drivers were used to knowing that we could tell how fast they were going and whether they were slamming on their brakes and stuff like that. So in December, we had a driver who hadn't been with us a long time, but had been, he was established on his route. Rainy day, I think he had five stops completed or something. And we get a call that he rolled the truck. That's the first time we've ever had a major accident like that. He was fine. Nobody else was involved. But if we hadn't had those cameras, your first instinct would have been, that guy was probably speeding around the corner. He's looking at his phone. He's probably eating a burrito. And we're going to let him go because whatever. So we pulled the data. He was driving 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. He was not on his phone. It literally was an accident. You know, I mean, he had taken appropriate precautions for the situation. The other one, we laugh about it. We had a customer call us and tell us that our driver had run over their mailbox. Well, and their neighbor had told them that our driver hit their mailbox. So I'm really sorry about that. Let's do some investigation, whatever. So we figure out when he was there and all this. We pull the video and sure enough, here he is. He's driving down the street just in time for the forward facing camera to catch the neighbor backing over his neighbor's mailbox. No the neighbor that told him, yeah, that, that the, we'd backed over it. So we just, yeah, just emailed that video right on over and said, I think your neighbor owes you a Excellent. It was great. Oh, we'll give the neighbor but, a shout out for trying it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think uh, I think your neighbor actually is the one that did that. But I mean, if we hadn't had that video, we would have paid for that mailbox. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to tell that guy? That's no, crazy. we're not doing that. That's we're going to put a mailbox in. So. Do you know, they tell me their numbers, like they tell me what the workload for drivers is, and, and I just can't get my head around it. We've got the challenge here in New Zealand that stuff's spread out, so we would typically do sure. seven or eight miles per job, which adds up during the day, yeah. and seven or eight miles in the countryside doesn't take you less time than seven or eight miles in the city, because half the time the driver doesn't know the countryside, so they get lost, right. or the Google Maps mm -hmm. are up to date. But I hear numbers from big companies that drivers are doing 70, 80, 90 units a day. And I just don't know how they do that. I scratch my head. Our small trucks, uh, which are like a, just a, like a Ford pickup chassis, a, a 550, we usually run between 50 and 55 services a day on those. Uh, and then our, our, what we call our big trucks, which are like, you know, the Hinos and the, you know, internationals and stuff like that. We run, what, about 65, David? On the small chassis, it's about 45. And on the oh, large is it? chassis, okay. it's 65. On the small trucks, do they have to empty during the day or can they fit all of that into one run? Yeah. They fit it all in one run. Yeah, they, yeah they that's running our rural routes. A lot more mileage, less services. You know, they're spread out. And then 
our tightly packed routes we try and use the bigger trucks for because and fresh water is typically our our limiter because we you do, run out. and and we run you know we we clean everything every you know the full deal we don't just fill the pot and leave that's usually our limiting factor we very rarely ever top out on the waste unless there's a bunch of holding tags or something yeah. like that on the route um for your waste treatment discharge are you going to a municipal site or have you managed to secure your own facility so we don't have our own facility. Uh, we don't have like a treatment facility of our own. Um, but several years back, we did start, we got permitted through the state to do above ground storage. Um, so we have a frack tank that everybody dumps into. Uh, our pre-trip guys come in before the drivers in the morning. They pre-trip all the trucks and they empty all the waste and stuff like that. And so we're able to haul, you know, 6,000 gallons at a time. We have a semi and a tanker and and we halt to a municipality. That's a sensible way of doing business because I, I know the boys at Prestige, they were paying a fortune in overtime because they had one dump station yep. and everyone was queuing up and they were all of the drivers were racking up two or three hours overtime a day. And they, yeah. they went to an overnight crew and just said, guys, park your truck, go home. And then the overnight crew yep. do all of that work and they worked out that it saved them an absolute fortune. We found that. And another issue that we were running up against because where we're based right now is a semi-rural area. I mean, definitely it's not ultra rural, but the wastewater treatment plants that will accept outside haulers, uh, which is, you know, everybody knows is becoming more and more of an issue of these municipalities. They just don't want to accept outside waste. But the local places, they cap out at about 10 to 15,000 gallons a day. So if you have three septic trucks in line, you could be waiting and have them come out to your window and be like, we're full for the day. Sorry. Then what do we do? We can't run tomorrow's route. We're full. <laughs> we really anticipated that we would be hurting real bad if we didn't figure something out. Are you PSAI members? Have you done anything with the association? Mm-hmm. Yep. We joined, oh, probably what, five years ago, maybe something like that? Maybe maybe six? About a year ago, we uh, recognized that kind of a disparity growing between our what we call our yard crew, which is non-drivers who stay and they, you know, wash units, they repair units, they, you know, just upkeep our yard and and that type of thing and the drivers. And we were starting to see, you know, that we just couldn't justify paying a a more equal wage to those two. And we kind of started seeing some, almost like some class segregation happening not not because we wanted it to but it was kind of like oh you're a yard guy well i'm a driver you know and so uh one thing that we did was we implemented a certification program and that's when we started having those our new drivers stay in the yard for two weeks so that they kind of understood what was actually happening and kind of like you don't really realize how much laundry your family has until your mom goes on vacation for a week type thing like oh yeah she does a lot around here (laughs) it was kind of the same thing like oh my gosh these guys really bust their butts all day long and so that helped with that but we started to where you can get a yard level one two and three cert you can get a, a driver level one and driver level two is getting that psai technician certification i can't remember what the technical name is for it where you're getting that level of certification under your belt did the drivers voluntarily jump into doing the certification or did you have to sort of prod and poke a little bit we base our pay scale upon it so one of the things that we did was we put a starting wage whether you're hired for a driver or a yard you start at the same hourly rate and then as you get those certifications it gives you a significant bump in pay you know getting your yard certification at the end of two weeks gives you a dollar an hour raise People that were going to be the two-week flash in the pan that weren't ever going to make it through training helped us so that we weren't just hemorrhaging money on people who were just running through the job mill. And it also, I think, helped people to kind of feel like, okay, I'm part of this team now. Like, I've got my certification too. I'm in the mix. And even if they're a yard, if they want to get certified as a driver and be kind of that on-call person on the weekends, maybe that's not their full-time job. They can get an extra bump in pay for having that certification. Any of our restroom drivers that want to go and get their commercial driver's license so that they can drive roll-off truck as a backup, we give them a bump in pay for that. So it's it's given us a good opportunity to have people really cross-train to when 
oh my gosh, somebody's out sick this week and nobody anticipated that. Well, that guy can go jump in the, the truck. It gives you great contingency mm-hmm. depth. Yep. If people are listening in and they're in Texas and would sure. like to use JBAR, how do they find out about you? Sure. So you can find us on our website at gojbar.com. And we're also on Facebook. You can look us up. Um, we have Instagram and all of that stuff, but our website has links to all of that. So if you go to gojbar.com, you can learn about us or book service or whatever. So we had a customer say it best, go orange or don't go at all. I've really enjoyed talking okay. to you. And I, I think you've got a lovely company and certainly everyone tells me good things about JBAR. So you're knocking it out of the park. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate well, you having us. Yeah, we thank you for the opportunity. And we're really glad that you you started this podcast and that you're bringing attention to our industry. You know, we want to see the industry advance and grow. and um, And we want to see it done right. And um, it was real easy for us to get a start in the industry and for us to grow quickly in the industry because we had a great attitude. And like, like I said, we, we wouldn't set the bar from day one, but we recognize that, you know, there's a lot out there who are not doing very well. And it's only going to better us if our competition plays at the same field that we do. So I think there are a lot of us on that page. I thank you for your kind words about the podcast. It's been going a year yesterday. I can't believe that that year has flown by. Um, the one thing I do need from you is a mailing address because guests always get a get flush mug. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the conversation. I thank you once again for your time. I think you're lovely people. And um, I'm looking forward to putting this episode together. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I said at the beginning of today's episode that I had no idea where my correspondence with David and Tannis would lead, and I have to thank them both for sharing their experiences so openly with us all. Everything I've spoken about in the last two or three episodes has come together so precisely in this episode that I couldn't have written it any better myself. I also have to thank Angelique and Demetria Airvote for making that introduction, and of course there are Get Flushed mugs on the way to Texas as we speak. Please remember to tell everyone else about the show and visit our Patreon page, that's patreon.com slash getflushed, to secure early access to every episode and bonus material that's not available anywhere else. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete, and you've been listening to Get Flushed. (laughs) 